morning. Uh, my name is uh, Bill Drips. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Fellowship Church, and we are delighted that you're here. We've uh, been going through a three-part series on marriage, and today is the third part, the messy marriage. And for those of you that wonder what a messy marriage is, just pick anyone. They're all messy. Why are we doing a series on marriage? Well, Grace Fellowship Church started with a few couples and many singles. As time has gone on, we've become a more diverse church, but our biggest demographic seems to be young families. And the elders have felt that all of our relationships, including our marriages, could benefit by a refresher. So whether you are single, young married, or old fogey, you, we can all improve in this area of how we relate to one another. So what are the um, main points of the first two sermons? The first one uh, was the first marriage. We were created in God's image and are made to conform to him both personally and in our relationships. In the first marriage, Adam and Eve were to reflect God's three-in-one nature by becoming two-in-one. Tricky, huh? Their rebellion kicked off God's plan to redeem the world. The final marriage, which was the second uh, in the series, we saw Christ's relationship with his church and that that relationship with his church is our model for marriage. There are many other models for marriage in the world around us, but to some extent, they are all defective. The final marriage is based on love and respect. So what's the main point today? Today we look at the messy marriage, what we can do practically to improve our marriages and other relationships. The main point is that God leads us through conflict to obtain peace. Main point is through conflict to peace. So Roman numeral one on your outline. The path to peace is through conflict. And I'd like to read uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the circumcision by what is called the, circ called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him... We both have access to the one Spirit in the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So in this passage in uh, Ephesians 2, do you notice the language of conflict? And it's about how God has reconciled to him, uh, us to himself. He talks about how we're separated from God and his people and without hope. And this is just characteristic of conflict, that you immediately feel separation from the other person. You ever notice that? And, and very quickly after that, you begin to feel without hope. You start thinking, oh, no, the same stupid issue again. Here we go. And notice how Christ reconciled us to himself. How did he do that? He reconciled us to God through his death. Christ gave his life, gave us life through his death. And generally speaking, most conflict results in somebody's death. And you notice how we were reconciled when, and it talks about he killed hostility. You see that? Is that, is that the normal way you describe dealing with hostility? You're going to kill it? That is God's plan. And it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of language of conflict here. And now we are fellow citizens. So in this passage, there's a lot of language with conflict. But just as we look at the scriptures as a whole, we see that man rebelled against God so God started a war to win us back. Do you realize that the, the Bible is a war story? And God is on the march to win people back to himself. <clears throat> How far is God willing to go in this war? Well, the answer is that he, <laughs> he's going to win it. He's going to do whatever it takes. And he's already shown us that. The same is true for us, that we are in a war because evil doesn't go easily. Have you never noticed how easy it is to pick up a bad habit? <laughs> Have you ever just kind of stumbled into a good habit? Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but I know this, that when it comes, comes time to get rid of habits, it's the bad ones that are really hard to get rid of. God's plan includes conflict with him and with others. This, this conflict does not surprise him. In fact, he uses it for his good purpose. And that purpose is to bring us to repentance and faith in Christ. Conflict is unpleasant. It's designed to be unpleasant. We shouldn't love conflict. The point behind all this is to stop viewing conflict in our lives as a tragedy. It's not a tragedy. Start viewing it as an opportunity to grow in holiness. And I talked about this, I believe, last week. A curb can be a barrier or it can be a step up. A lot depends on how you look at it. And I mentioned for the students, 
an exam can be looming doom. You ever had that sense of looming doom? Or it can be a chance to shine. It can be a chance you put in all this work and now you can get a chance to demonstrate that you really learned this stuff. God could have reviewed our sin as a reason to obliterate us. Instead, he viewed our sin as an opportunity to show how much he loved us. So, the path to peace is through conflict, and God has pursued this conflict with sin in order to deliver us, to show us how much he loves us. So when you when you run into conflict, even in your nearest and dearest relationships, it is not the end of the world. It's probably God giving you an opportunity to resolve that and come to real real peace. Whether or not you've had conflict with somebody is probably mainly dependent on how well you know them. If you don't know somebody at all, I'll bet you you never have had conflict with them. Is that, is that a true thing? Yeah, it's really true. And how long after you first meet people does some conflict come up? Well, it depends on how close you get. So, how do we deal with conflict? And point number two is to deal with yourself first, second, and third. Now, the reason I didn't put fourth, fifth, and sixth is because I thought that would just be redundant. We have to deal with ourselves. You know what? Have you ever tried to fix other people? How did that go? What you can really fix is yourself. That's the one person that you've really got to deal with. Now, maybe there's some other things that other people have to change. But the only person that you can really work on is yourself. So point A under deal with yourself first is get your own heart right. Consider what you may have contributed to the problem. One of the things about conflict is it gets us focused on what the other guy did. And then we get all frustrated because we can't fix the other guy. And then we lose hope. And then it's it, nothing can be done. It's over. It's hopeless. So the first thing we need to do is consider what we may have done that contributed to the problem. Get our own heart right. Repent of any judgmental or condemning attitude. Now, you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in, in uh, Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2? Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, how should you treat other people who have done something that offends you or you have a problem with? You should deal with them as gently and kindly as you prefer to be dealt with. And when we see that judgmental or condemning attitude, see, when he's saying judge not here, he's not saying don't, don't discern what's going on out there. Don't recognize what's going on. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is don't condemn other people. It's that inner attitude of they're the bad guy rather than we're all the bad guy. So first we need to work on our own hearts. 
We need to forgive them as we've been forgiven. This is the first part of forgiveness, and it's unilateral. As soon as somebody tells you, or me, or as soon as we say to ourselves, it's hopeless, I can't do anything, we ought to be saying, okay, number one, you can forgive them. It can be done. That can always be done. It's the first part of forgiveness, and it's unilateral. It's deciding to pay the penalty for their sin, even though they do not deserve it. Listen, <clears throat> when, when, people, um, when people hurt you, when they offend you, when they do stuff to you, are they really going to be able to make up for that? No, once that stuff happens, you, you really can't make up for it. I mean, maybe if there's some financial damage, they can, you know, pay you back or that sort of thing. But, but the, the offense really cannot be made as though it never happened. And the only thing you can really do is you can decide to pay their penalty for them. Why should you do that? I mean, after all, they're the ones that did the wrong thing, right? Now, do you need to ask? Do you want to stand before the Lord and say, well, Lord, they have, they did that to me and they deserve it. <laughs> I do not want to be in your shoes when you say that. No, uh, we don't deserve our sin to be forgiven. They don't deserve to have their sin to be, to be forgiven. But we do it because Jesus died for us. And we do that before they even come and ask. When did the Lord die for you? Was it after you had gone to him and asked him to pay for your penalty for your sin? No, he did it thousands of years ago. It was his plan from the beginning. So there is a transactional part of forgiveness, and we'll get into that later. But the first thing that we need to do is repent of any judgmental or condemning attitude. And the way you do that is just in your own heart forgiving people. Why would you forgive them? Well, just, you know, spend a little time meditating on what you've done and how the Lord's forgiven you. So repent of any judgmental condemning attitude. And then the next thing is remove the log in your own eye. And this is the next three verses in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the log out of your brother's eye. So remove the log in your own eye. Ask yourself, which part of this prob problem is mine? And there may have been a time in my life where somebody did something to me that... Uh, that I shared no part in. Tell you the truth, I really can't remember it. It's probably lost in all the bazillions of times when there was partly my fault in it. In fact, no really good fight ever really gets going without both people sharing in the fault. So which part of the problem is ours? And we need to own that and acknowledge it. Even if all we did was respond angrily 
to the other person's uh, what to what the other person did to us, we have still contributed to the problem. So remove the log in your own eye, and then keep working on your heart. And here's here's how you will know when you have really finished working on your heart. Number one, you can believe the best about them. Have you ever noticed when you're upset at somebody, you're angry, you're fearful, whatever your particular emotion of choice is? Um, have you ever noticed how all of a sudden you begin to notice every little thing about them that's wrong? Every little flaw, every little deviation from perfection? And after a while, have you ever noticed nothing about them is any good? Now, granted, everybody out there is a sinner. That's really true. But it's really it's really difficult to find any perfect people. Have you found any perfect people? Okay, you won't even find perfectly evil people. I mean, Mussolini made the trains run on time, right? That's a joke for you older people. <laughs> Sorry. So, number one, keep working on your heart until you can believe the best of them. Number two, speak gently and kindly. Hey, listen, I want to talk to you about what you did to me the other day, and I am going to let you have it. You sit down there, and I'm going to tell you what you did wrong. Probably not the right way to handle it. You really have got to get to the point where you can speak gently and kindly. And only when you can do these two things, you can believe the best of them and you can speak gently and kindly, are you ready to reconcile? Are you ready to deal with this issue? Now then you have to choose a way to deal with the conflict. Probably more conflicts are dealt with successfully by bearing with one another in love. And uh, if you look at um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, it talks about bearing with one another in love. But this is, is in many places in the scriptures. Uh, Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but lover, love covers all offenses. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And First uh, Peter four eight. Above all, keeping keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And if you've really got to the point where your heart is right, where you can believe the best about them, where you can speak gently and kindly, the only thing really left is: is there a reason for them to know about this offense? Is there a is there a reason that fits within the bounds of love that makes sense to go talk to them about it? And there are definitely those times, but most problems are too small for anything but this. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Okay, you know, you probably don't need to chase them down the road and, and cut them off and push them up against the curb and get out and yell at them, you know. I saw that. I, I really did. I was coming to the uh, to the... Um, the toll booth on uh, on the Schuylkill. You ever been on the Schuylkill in Philadelphia? I'm coming up to the toll booth where it goes into the turnpike, and uh, some guy comes 
flying in off the exit. I mean, he is going like gangbusters. And I'm like, whoa, it's time to slow down. And uh, and this other car comes flying in behind him, cuts him off. And I mean to tell you, that he, he, it was really clear he was he was cutting him off and pushing him up against the the concrete median. You know, it's about this high, and and so both cars come screeching to a halt. And the one guy comes running back and starts beating on the side. Of, and the driver's one, it's a he's in a van, it's a van, and he's grabbed the mirror and he's beating on it. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> I'm in the passenger seat. I'm just saying, uh, slow down, slow down. <laughs> And and they go along, and the, the guy driving the van is trying to shake him off, and he finally shakes him off, and the back tire hits him, and his wallet comes flying out of his pants. And I'm like, what? Okay, that was not covering over sin, right? I'm not sure what set that whole thing off, but it didn't get better by doing that. There's a lot of ways to handle stuff, even really bad stuff. But that doesn't help. And so when we start thinking about retaliation and that sort of thing, it is the wrong way to go. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, there's some issues that where we need to avoid it. And normally it's not good to avoid things, but Proverbs 22.3 says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on for it. There are times when it's best to avoid a conflict. There's a guy out on your front porch. He's got a gun. He's screaming. He's banging on the door. Yeah, get the family and go out the back, you know. 911 on the way, right? <laughs> um, avoid that kind of conflict. But if there is a reason to work through the problem, that is the third choice. Work through the problem to reconciliation. And often the main reason for working through a problem is that that is the path to unity and real closeness in a relationship, is having worked through problems. How many of you have ever been in true love? How many of you, before you got married, were just overwhelmingly, oh, wow, this is the best thing that ever happened to me? Anybody ever been there? Yeah, yeah. Um, how long did that last? Um, in all honesty, Bonnie and I had our our first disagreement at the at the reception. That's really true. I come from the suburbs of D.C. She comes from a small town in southern Illinois, and I mean to tell you, there, there's hardly anything about weddings that happen the same in both places. Yeah, so that particular one was about when we should leave the reception. We got we got through it. <laughs> what I mean is is that conflict happens everywhere to everyone, and we did work through that problem to reconciliation, and we did end up closer as a result of that. So what do you need to do in dealing with yourself? Then you need to make up your mind. It's time to go to your brother. What we are tempted to do is even though it is one that we should work through, we want to just say, well, okay, I can just get through this. I don't have to have it out. And you know what? You probably could do that, but it's not the right thing to do. In other words, 
what would have happened had Jesus up in heaven said, okay, I can get over this. I don't need to obliterate them. I can just let them go on their merry way. It would not have turned out well for us. So generally speaking, we will need to go. If if it's not a small matter that can be overlooked in love, we are going to need to go to our brother. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Matthew 18, 15. And then Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So what priority does Jesus put on going and talking to your brother? If you're in the midst of worshiping the Lord and remember your brother has something against you, stop worshiping the Lord and go get that fixed. Now that's a high priority. That's a real high priority. So how do we do that? Well, that brings us to Ephesians 4 and to speaking the truth in love. And that's point three on your outline. We've talked about how the the path to real peace is through conflict. We've talked in the, about how we need to deal with ourselves first so that we can actually contribute to the solution rather than contribute to the problem. And then finally, we need to speak the truth in love. In Ephesians 4, uh, 15 and 16, Paul says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And then a couple of verses further on, uh, verses 25 through 27. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sin go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So, the key method by which the body is built up, according to Paul, is by speaking the truth. Now, of course, I'm sure that you guys have had conflicts where there's been a difficulty and you've gone to your spouse or to whoever you're having a relationship with and said, you know, I really have to tell you the truth. That thing you did there, that was not good. That was that, that was bad. And they said, oh, I am so thankful you brought that up to me. It is, oh, it's just so encouraging that we're getting this worked out. And boy, tell me more about that. I really want to hear everything I did wrong. Is that how it goes for you? No. And the reason you avoid speaking the truth to people is we all know what's going to happen. It's going to make the conflict worse, right? But it's got to get worse before it gets better, right? Anybody that goes to the doctor because they think they're going to feel better as the doctor is doing whatever procedure he needs to do is out of their minds, right? Same with this. This will likely start a conflict, but don't let this stop you. So speak the truth. Paul says, speak the truth in love. We need to go ahead with humility and patience. Listen, you're not going to be able to do this in love unless you did point two, which is dealing with yourself. But that's just utterly critical. Speak the truth in love. 
it will likely not feel loving to the other person. Right? Don't expect it that that's going to happen. You should be uh, speak with humility and patience, uh, but don't be surprised if they don't think it's all that humble and patient. <clears throat> For homework, review Jesus' conversations with the Pharisees. Sometimes those went pretty good. Eh, sometimes not so good. It's okay. In love means doing what's best for the other person, not just doing what makes them feel good. You could think of it as speak the truth like Jesus did to get a better sense of what in love means. Okay, in love also means to understand them from this, from their point of view. At this point in the reconciliation process, you have brought the problem up to them. At this point, your view of the situation is not relevant. That's what we really want to do, right? Is just get it out there. You did this to me, and this is how this made me feel, and this is what this did over here and that over there, and boy, are you in trouble. That's what we want to say, right? That is so unhelpful, I can't even express it. At this point, your view of the problem is not helpful. It's important, but not yet helpful. There will be a time for it later. One essential part of in love is to understand the other person. If they don't feel understood, you're not going to get anywhere. And so the, after you bring the problem up, the most important thing to do at that point is to get their view of it and make sure that, that you really understand. How do you know whether or not you have really understood their point of view? Okay, what you do is you repeat back to them your understanding of what they said. And then you ask them, do I understand you correctly? And they'll go, no, 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 you messed up over here and over there. Okay, keep doing that. Go back and explain your understanding of, of their point of view until they finally say, yeah, you know, I think you've actually got it. <laughs> you see, this is actually, it's, it's a sneaky technique. It's biblical, but it's also very sneaky because the one thing that in conflict the other guy is sure to agree with you on is your statement of the problem if you get it right. See, so you've already got them into agreeing with you. I know that's tricky, but but it is a biblical part of understanding. Make sure <clears throat> that you can repeat it back to them and that they agree that now you do have their point of view. In the midst of this, as Paul says here in Ephesians, he says, be angry, but do not sin. Now this, uh, this little thing here, this little statement about be angry, but do not sin, do not let the sun go down in your anger, it's probably a common saying, like a proverb that people said back then. Um, and really, he's talking about any of the passions that come out when we get in conflict. So some of us, uh, like me, my, my favorite uh, emotion of choice when I want to get out of control is anger. Some of you maybe prefer fear. In either case, we don't be surprised 
if you feel those things when you're in the situation of trying to to get a conflict reconciled. He says, be angry, but do not sin. He's not encouraging people to be angry. He's saying, okay, it's going to happen. But don't do it. Don't act out on it. Do not sin. And whether you're angry or whether you're fearful or whether you have some other emotion that you like in those situations, fight or flee pretty well summarizes most of it. (laughs) Expect that you will feel that. Expect them to as well. I mean, right after you've gone through all this business to really understand their point of view and everything, you're expecting them to feel all grateful, right? And we're not there yet. Don't give in to those passions. Concentrate on understanding. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So we need to certainly live with our wives in an understanding way. We also need to do that in all our relationships. So in all honesty, this part is very hard for me. Um, My favorite sin is anger. I kind of think I'm pretty good at it. I learned it from my dad, you know. And... But the problem with it is it really blinds me and makes things worse. So we should not make excuses for ourselves. Don't say we're just a little frustrated. Admit that you have those feelings. And then once you've really understood them, once you have looked at your own feelings and done what you could to get them under control, give your position humbly. And that's all under be angry, but do not sin. Finally, ask forgiveness for what was your fault. Ask forgiveness for what was your fault. That's the last thing you want to do at this point, right? You want them to acknowledge their sin. Ask forgiveness for what was your fault. And then finally, ask them to repent of what was their fault. Now, we need to realize that we don't have any control over that. We can't make them repent. But we can go to them. And so the final, and and these last two steps are the transactional part of forgiveness, where you ask forgiveness for what was your fault, and they, uh, they agree to repent of what was their fault. Depending on the situation, more may be required. In other words, most situations forgiving each other in, in, of, of what uh, what the offense has been uh, will take care of it. But there may be other situations where more is required. Uh, restitution, public apology, might even need to get law enforcement involved. And then finally, in this whole thing of speaking the truth in love, be content with what you can resolve. There's always going to be more that could be gone after. We need to be content with what we can resolve. Proverbs 30, verse 33. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. So we need to be content with what we, what we can get and allow God to continue his work. There will be no perfect reconciliation 
in this life. But there can be real reconciliation. So we've talked about that the God allows conflict. <clears throat> and the reason that he does that is it is the path to peace. The path to peace is through conflict. We've talked about how we need to deal with our own heart first, deal with ourselves, and then finally speak the truth in love. Uh, that will work wonders for your marriage. Um, that will work wonders for other relationships as well. Some of you may be feeling overwhelmed at some of what we've shared. Remember that Jesus loves you and that you can come to him with everything that's happened to you and all that you've done. The past cannot be erased, but it can be forgiven. Bring all of your sin and guilt to him. Leave it with him. You won't be able to change everything overnight, but you can begin the journey that leads to life. Take the first step. God's design and purpose for us is to picture Jesus' relationship to his bride, the church. In order to do this, we must be growing in godliness and marry a person who is growing in godliness. This is impossible apart from his enabling power at work in us. The more we become like Christ and treat others as he does, the more prepared we will be for marriage and for other relationships and the better we will do at those relationships. <clears throat> and it'll get tough. And I know that it will. I've been there. It's, it, we, we've been through tough things ourselves. And this is the thing that gets me through those tough times. And that's to, to think about, to meditate on what Jesus did for me. And the reason for going in through those tough times basically comes down to that Jesus is worthy. And he redeemed me. There's an old hymn uh, that talked about he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels. He died alone for you and for me. It's not just that. He died saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Unbelievable. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you're the one who has reconciled our relationship with you. You're the one who has given us relationships uh, in our marriages and in other places that give us that opportunity to follow you in, reconcile, in reconciliation and bringing people to yourself, to demonstrating your image, to being like Christ. Father, continue your work in us. Make us over into your image. Make us worthy bearers of your son's name. And we pray in his name.